Come wind, rain or shine, there's still one man on top seemingly. Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. And James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to episode 26 of F1 Review 2023. I'm Tom Claiborne and I'm joined by Angus Gallagher and Tristan Fancourt. Today we look back at the return of F1, the Dutch Grand Prix, and we start off with one man from that very country, Max Verstappen, where you've guessed it, he's won again, this being his 11th win this season and his 9th win in a row, meaning he's equaled the all-time record first set by Sebastian Vettel in a Red Bull, funnily enough, back in 2013. Now, Tristan, what significance do you place on this achievement or achievements like it? We know Verstappen's a very good driver, but um, what does this tell us uh, about him and other things, really? I think it it tells us that Red Bull is very good at winning nine races in a row, and yeah. <laughs> or picking drivers that that can do it. Certainly, that's really crazy, isn't it? When you think about how, what what it takes to win nine in a row, and I don't know about you, but at the end of lap seventy, I was sitting there thinking, I can't believe once again we're going to see Max win. Not necessarily because Max doesn't deserve to win, just because there were so many factors that went into this race so many things happening all at once and yet he just sort of comes out at the other end it's like he's made of teflon this season and nothing can stick to him and and not only not only that but the best challenge at at the whole race the whole race best challenge came from the unexpected liam lawson apparently who uh, managed to overtake him very temporarily um and well, I say overtake him, unlapped himself, but technically that means overtaking before Max came came past, which again is bizarre. The twists and turns, yeah. Not even Fernando Alonso could get past um, Max Verstappen this weekend, and yet, and and out of nowhere, AlphaTauri did. But as I say, through all of that, through the rain, the sunshine, the the massive blaring music, because there was a party going on in the grandstands, Max Verstappen has won. And I think that tells you everything you need to know about him at the moment, which is he seems to just be completely untouchable. He was taking multiple seconds out of Sergio Perez's time when Sergio Perez was briefly in the lead of the race. He was taking two point something seconds, 2.3, 2.4 seconds out of Sergio Perez's time per lap. He was a second faster than anyone else in qualifying. I, I the The only chance we had this weekend of Max not winning was the weather. And even then he seemed to just manage to manipulate his race into certain circumstances where he came on top. So I think what we can say, what I can say at the moment is Max seems untouchable and going into Monza, I have a funny feeling we're going to see that nine race 
record broken. I can't lie. I've been particularly impressed by how Verstappen just perfects everything. And it's not even just the, the obvious things like being the the most optimum race car or even managing to keep the car on the track. Every time I see him, he he makes a perfect start. So so it'd be so easy under the pressure that he's under, especially in front of his home fans, to drop the clutch and then not get away strongly. And all of a sudden, Norris is leading into turn one. You've got a, a different race. Or for that pressure, for the expectation from that orange army to sort of just weigh upon him. I mean... You've seen cases in the past in Formula 1 where drivers can be absolutely mighty on the track, but when it comes to their home race, some of them just crumble under the pressure or they just don't cope as well, or uh, they don't perform at their home race. Think of Charles Leclerc, his record in his home race is awful. I mean, I'm not exactly, it's not like the, the, Monaco, the Monaco streets are lined with roaring fans like Zandvoort is, but there's still the pressure of performing in your home race. Verstappen just doesn't seem to care he just plucks that emotion out and just puts it parks it puts it to one side and he's able to produce the goods and get a great result um and like you said everything was thrown at him absolutely everything weather um tire changes strategy then it dried up there's some more weather but he was just even little things like when it absolutely started chucking it down with rain on about lap 60 and he went past the pit lane and he said on the radio, oh, no, it's fine. I'll just keep going for a bit longer. And his engineer responded with, now will be a very good time to pit. Um, <laughs> of which he was <laughs> yeah. a, very, a very fair call when it was absolutely biblical showers. And it went very quickly from dries to full wets. He just seems so in control. It's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, I saw some some stat, which admittedly is, uh, has its caveats, but in the last... 60 races where Verstappen has not had a car problem of of some kind, where the car's been healthy. He's won 41 of them and he's come second in 14. So in, what's that? In about 90% of race the last three years where his car has been healthy, he's finished in the top two. His consistency is absolutely ridiculous and it's crazy to think that a driver who a few years back we were saying oh he's got a bit of an immature streak he's either hero or zero and he's now matched what i think is possibly the hardest record to match in formula 1 history winning nine races in a row even if you're in the most dominant car ever winning nine races in a row is astonishing and there was a jo- uh, one of the sky reporters joked with christian horner that by the end of the year it could be 18 in a row because there's nine races left and he he looks unstoppable it can't be, mm. surely. Statistically, something's via Sod's Law. Something's going to happen. <laughs> we, we keep on saying yeah, this. Well, we no do. Yeah, we this. keep saying this. Oh, but, surely But the not. more we keep on saying it, the higher the chances that something will happen because statistically, it <laughs> sure. will. And I know it. Let I know say. it seems like it wouldn't <laughs> in a race where we had ridiculous changes of weather and strategy and where he actually he actually had to overtake people. He had he had to overtake three cars. Okay, he went da- he went down oh, to wow. fourth. He went down to fourth, and he had to overtake an Alpine, an Alfa Romeo, and his teammate, which is such a hard life, I know. Um, mm. Yeah, crazy record, really, all things considered. Um, yeah, you, you run out. You run out of words to describe the guy. Mm. 
It does remind me very much of Sebastian Vettel's 2013 season, as I can remember it, insofar as I think he's now at the peak of his powers, the purple patch of his career so far. But there's a question mark, really, and I suppose we'll only be able to find this out in years to come, whether this is going to be the ultimate peak in a short-term peak for Verstappen, or whether this is a continued period of dominance that, let's say, Hamilton's had before, Schumacher's had before, and many other uh, F1 races before that as well. But I do think that despite him doing so well, I think this is slightly easier, if I may say, than Sebastian Vettel doing it. Because while Vettel had a goal for class in terms of car to the other, you did also have Mark Webber as his teammate, a teammate who was, in my eyes, better than Perez and someone who's more close to him in terms of quality. So let's not take anything away from Verstappen's uh, incredible record here in terms of those nine races, but I think it's fair to say he's certainly been helped by circumstances. But that being said, I think he will beat this record. Take it a 10 at Monza, but um, that may be the commentator's curse because if we keep on saying it, then surely someone else must win, he says, hopefully. Do you think... Well. Do you think he's going to win in in Monza, knowing what we know about about the the track and the high speed, or do you think there is a well? Do you think there's a track that Red Bull is vulnerable? Well, at, at this season, or are they just no. not? If I if I were to be positive for anybody who's not Red Bull, I'd look back at that incident between Verstappen and Hamilton and see how. Yes, that was one or two years ago, but he's still perhaps a bit reckless, a bit naive at times against the right driver in the right circumstances when the the pressure is on. And granted, he's no longer in a title fight, so that takes the the uh, tension out of it, so to speak. But he's not got an amazing record at Monza. If it were, let's say, nine wins in a row going into Zandvoort per se, then I'd go, well, that's done, isn't it? It's it's sorted. It's over. Fair enough, because he's won there every single time he's raced there. But at Monza, a bit more of a patchy record. And I think also Mercedes will have a point to prove after this disastrous weekend. Ferrari likewise as well on their home turf after a fairly lukewarm season. So I think it'll be tougher for Verstappen, but not necessarily as tough as it has been. Will he win? Yeah, he will. I'm trying to find trying to find reasons for him not to win. And I look down the list and... There have been two non-Red Bull pole positions so far this season. I'm not counting Spa, where Verstappen got pole but then had the the gearbox penalty. So it's just Azerbaijan and Hungary, both of which are very different tracks, interestingly. But will will Red Bull win in Monza? Of course they will. I think Red Bull. I reckon Red Bull just win every race for the rest of uh, the rest of this century. To be honest, it's just. Uh, you finally century, admitted to yeah. it. Finally, Hi- hyperbole. Yeah, the, the Mercedes fan in him is crumbling. <laughs> no, maybe. I mean, Williams could win at Monza. You never know. I mean, we saw on their on a circuit just gone where they were supposed to be one of the weakest cars and have a package which couldn't compete at all. They've got both cars in the top ten, so maybe Alex Albon will win in Italy. Who knows? Um, Oh yeah, I mean that 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 is a possibility. And actually, I disagree with them with your statement that they were considered weak for this race because Williams' whole thing is this absolute flying top speed. So Monza is their best chance, and this is part of the reason why Logan Sargent was devastated um, in the race when he crashed out was because this this is Williams's track, one of the the few tracks where they could really really claw some points 
And for him to bin it, and it wasn't actually his fault. I'm going to say that, but it wasn't his fault. He hit the curb, and then James Vowles can confirm this, that the power steering broke on his car. So he had no steering, and that's why it was such a weird crash. He basically then just went into the barrier. He couldn't steer. But the problem is, is because the car ended up destroyed, it, it, you know, it crippled his chances of getting any serious points, and that's why I think he was so upset. But Monza um, is another one of these fast tracks i mean i think i'm right in saying it is the fastest track on this in the calendar it used to be at the very least maybe saudi arabia is technically faster now who i can't you know you'll check me on that but it's one of the opportunities but i still don't think i still don't think that williams can challenge um red bull even with the speed i think the, the overall package unfortunately means that he's going uh, that uh, max Verstappen's going to win so how many races in a row is Max Verstappen gonna win before the the the, the crack, that particular streak gets broken? And I we can go into next year if you'd like. <laughs> we won't allow testing. We won't allow testing because people sandbag on testing. But he's at nine now. There's nine more races to the end of the season, so he can get to eighteen this 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 season. How many races will Max Verstappen extend the streak to the record to? His streak will end in the first US Grand Prix because historically other cars that aren't Red Bull have done well there and made the biggest upgrades there. So that would make it, what, 13 going on 14? It's got to to end at some point, like I said, but I just don't know what that point is. I'm trying to look down the list and see. He'll probably win at Monza. Singapore he was rubbish at last year, so he's got a point to prove. Suzuka... Red Bull go well there. Qatar. Did he win in Qatar last time or was it Hamilton? I can't remember. A couple of years ago now. Um, probably win in Austin. He loves me. He always wins in Mexico. Uh, Brazil. Red Bull are pretty good there now. He'll win there. Should we say Las Vegas? I reckon Las Vegas. That could be a, it's a bit of an anomaly. Could throw up a new tracks either. They go one of two ways. They either throw up an anomaly in the result and they produce something spectacular or they actually are more likely to have a race which resorts to type. But I think he'll win in Abu Dhabi. So I'll say Las Vegas. So that would put his streak at 16 in a row. Okay, let's go Las Vegas. Higher or lower, Tristan? Tristan, for you. I'm going to go with Australia. And that's the third race of next year. Oh, blimey. Um, So I'm going to say, I'm going to say he will, his streak will have ended after winning the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. So that would be 20. And then he fails to win this 21st Grand Prix. I cannot see Max being beaten by Checo. And I think Checo is the only one who can beat Max because he's in the equal machinery of um, that, that, incredible red bull so i don't think anyone else is going to be able to catch up this year and then i'm, I'm going to say that he wins the first opening two races and then uh, loses in australia now that's an interesting statement because of course you're insinuating that red bull will be as untouchable next year as they are this year am i correct i'm suggesting okay so i think what's going to happen is everyone will have almost caught up by red bull okay at the end of this year but they still have an advantage because they got the early lead. Mm. Their penalty is going to really bite as we get to the latter half of this year. And we know that Australia is the typical um, first upgrade 
uh, track yeah. four of well, I say Australia. It's not. It's the it's the third or fourth one in is when you start getting these upgrades. Okay, and so I think going into the beginning of next year, Bahrain and Saudi Arabia, I think Red Bull is going to have developed the car a little bit over the um, winter period because, as we know, they can still do that. They're just going to be a little bit behind on how far they can develop it. And then by the time everyone else's upgrade packages come in uh, in Australia next year, then other people will have overtaken the Red Bull. So I think they'll get an ever so slight, very small lead in the beginning of next year until everyone else catches up. Um, Quite the theory. Yeah, there you go. So we'll see how that pans out. We've only got to wait till uh, the 22nd of March next year to find out if I'm correct. Well, I'll mark that on my calendar and we'll see what comes. I was going to say, there's one one thing which we haven't considered yet. And because I, I thought it was going to get announced this weekend, but the announcement of if any teams have broken the cost cap from last year. Because, of course, this time last mm. year we found out that Red Bull had broken the cost cap from 2021. So if the, if it gets announced they've broken it again, who knows? Could throw a spanner in the works. I don't think they'll have broken it again. I think they uh, learned a lesson last time. Maybe. What lesson is that again? Uh, <laughs> uh, don't overspend on lunch. Yeah, or you'll win everything next year. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you'll be well fed and winning, and oh. then where will you be? God, strife, am I right, folks? Um, <laughs> uh, and talking about strife, for one F1 driver this season, he's been here for... A handful of races been asked about for the short term. At least Daniel Ricciardo, AlphaTauri once again had to change their driver lineup owing to Daniel Ricciardo breaking his hand while crashing or after crashing rather in free practice too. It meant that the off-mentioned, at least in terms of F1 in review, Liam Lawson was parachuted in. He qualified in P19 and finished in P13, and we understand he'll have another go in F1 next week at Monza owing to Ricciardo's aforementioned injuries. Our thoughts on his weekend then? Yeah, he did well. He did well, I thought, considering the circumstances that he came into, which were finding out on Friday evening that he was going to be racing this weekend. Um, Once again, a case of good job he was there at the track, because otherwise Red Bull or AlphaTauri, sorry, would have been a bit more stuck to find someone. So it was a good job he was there anyway on duty, on... uh, on uh, on standby, which is what reserve drivers are for sometimes. But yeah, I thought he equipped himself quite well. I think that it was a case of get through the weekend realistically because of the fact that there was wet conditions for practice for most of qualifying and also for uh, parts of the race. And uh, and that's probably some of the most difficult conditions you'd you'd. You'd be having in terms of your first F1 race, especially if it's on a tight, twisty track such as Zandvoort. I don't even know if he'd driven. I'm, I'm presuming he drove Zandvoort as part of F2 last year because I'm pretty sure they go there. But yeah, I thought he equipped himself well. He was going to be quite far off in qualifying realistically. Um, and in the end, he ended up 1.7 seconds off uh, Sonoda in Q1. But that was in wet conditions, so it's not really much to to measure by. Um, for people hoping that he'd have a Nick De Vries-sized impact, who, as as we remind ourselves, De Vries 
outclassed Nicholas Latifi on F1 debut last year after having the same amount of time that Liam Lawson did. You'd be disappointed because it didn't happen. But he did, by virtue of a penalty for Sonoda, he finished ahead of Sonoda in the classification on race day, which was respectable. Um, Actually, in the end, he finished ahead of Bottas, Sonoda, Magnussen and Russell. I do recall, having looked at the order on that last restart, he was in last place, I think. But then I remember looking up at the, the timing screen and he had overtaken Magnussen or Bottas, um, which clearly he overtook both. So he put a couple of moves on towards the end of the race. However, it did um, it did end his streak, which, I mean, uh, this streak was inevitably going to be ended. But a fun fact, he has the unusual record of he's won on... They were saying this on Sky over the weekend. He's won on debut in eight different series. So that's the first. So the first race he's rid. So whether that's like he won his first race in F two, he won his first race in Formula Renault, his first race in karts, his first. He's won his first race in and in, in um. And there's another one like DTM, the German touring cars. He's won his first race mm. in a new series on eight different occasions. Which um, that streak is broken, sadly. Um, it was it was always it was always going to be this weekend, yeah, basically. Yeah. But um yeah, he's a bit, based on that stat alone, he's probably got quite a bit of potential. And he put up a respectable job this weekend. Will we see well we'll, we'll see him in Italy, won't we? It's coming confirmed. He's, yeah, we will. he's definitely back for Monza because that's just next weekend and Daniel Ricardo's broken Metacarpal needs time to recover. Possibly back for Singapore because that's still three weeks away and Ricardo Shaw might be back, but that's a pretty tough race to come back in with a broken hand or a, or a recovering broken hand. So this might be the this won't be the last we see of Liam Lawson and uh, it's a nice little insight into into his driving. I thought he did he did he acquitted himself quite well really. I think he drove he drove fantastically and we were saying that if he beats anybody in the race, then he will have done fantastically. And yeah, okay, he qualified last and a little bit behind the pace, but I think we can we can all forgive him for that. But fundamentally, he managed to survive the hardest race I think of the whole season and probably oh, yeah. the most dramatic race in terms of weather I can think of since oh, what was more dramatic do you think? 2021 German Grand Prix. Do you remember the one where Mercedes got dressed up and then hmm. completely flummoxed that weekend? Yeah. Or Russia. Um, it was also 2021, I think. Those, or maybe Turkey 2021. Oh, all great races. <laughs> uh, but, you know, definitely very, very dramatic since one of those three, depending on which one you think is is the most dramatic in terms of weather and slipperiness. It, it, he managed to finish in 13th place. Brilliant absolutely fantastic job for him and his move on Max Verstappen to unlap himself was pretty pretty ballsy uh yeah he took advantage of the of the um sloped track dumped the car in where he needed to and then got him on the straight uh, and then he was a little bit slower than Max so blue flags came up and he got re over overtaken but how many people how many people can you think of that have successfully Unlap themselves against Max Verstappen. I can't think of more than no. So Liam Lawson managed to do that very merry thing on the track in slippery conditions. So I think we can all. I think we can tip our hats to to the um, 
to the driver there from, from New Zealand and suggests that next week many more eyes will be upon him because Daniel Ricciardo, I don't think it's going to be back for a little bit longer because he's had an operation now on his um, wrist and he's got metal work in there. So Singapore is notoriously hot, humid. It's a track that requires full concentration and is very extreme on the body. I don't necessarily think Ricardo will be back in fit and fighting form. So this could be three races perhaps for Liam Lawson. So if he can keep it up and beat Yuki Tsunoda, then then I know we were all saying, oh, will Ricardo beat Tsunoda? Blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Will Lawson beat Tsunoda and Ricardo? Yeah. Who knows? Absolutely brilliant. He really was my driver of the weekend. And I'm a little bit sad he didn't get it because to get that Alpha Tauri into 13th place, I think was very very good he kept his cool and didn't throw the 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 car off the track like many other very experienced drivers did this weekend so yeah i think he can be incredibly proud of himself and whilst he didn't necessarily win on his debut he did achieve a lot and i just hope that it doesn't go the way it went for nick devries when if you remember he debuted for williams got points in his first ever um f1 race and then subsequently got ejected out of the sport so hopefully he gets better luck than um nick devries there but certainly i think that he's going to have should we say he's got one foot in the door now to a proper seat in formula one i'd say so i think he had a near perfect debut when you consider the conditions and circumstances of it really being called up on friday first time driving an f1 car outside of a simulator got through some awful conditions tick Beat his teammate, tick. Going to have two, three, maybe even four chances in F1 weekend, tick. Really, I do feel sorry for the fact that he's come in now when perhaps teams have penciled in who they want to indeed sell them on in the future. If it had been, let's say, a few weeks before the summer break or a week before that, that may have perhaps put a real spanner in the works for, for this season coming up. But looking at the, I suppose, lack of opportunities currently, I think it's unfortunately unlikely he'll get on this season. But perhaps the season after that, people will go, well, you know, you better go and buck up your ideas. Uh, Sonoda or whoever because Liam Lawson is uh, in the background or indeed someone outside of Red Bull's academy they could go well we could get Lawson and do a do a Nick DeVries but I think that in terms of DeVries some will go and say oh well that was the perfect debut wasn't it look at him got some points in his debut and he just scuttled off and said that's me done but compare that to what with what's to come where you've got two to three races maybe even four I think that's a better test sample really for Liam Lawson's future his quality his potential his durability his stamina and all these sort of good things you need really because it was always going to be very very difficult for Nick DeVries to go and hit the heights of that P7 finish with Williams again and again but looking forward you can perhaps go and see that if uh, Lawson's able to go and replicate this be that beating his teammate or getting near uh, the top 10 that could put him in good stead in the longer term rather than a sort of I suppose wild card choice of somebody yeah the grid's very packed these days isn't it and there's lots of talent already there and for there to be a chance for you to get a seat on there you need to pick your right moment and you need to seize your chance so it's probably at the point where teams have already penciled in their drivers for next year so he's going to have to make the most of this little mini audition that that he has because the the competition to get onto the grid is fierce and there aren't too many seats knocking around 
especially ones like when you get ones like Huss being renewed with Hulkenberg and Magnussen as they were last week. That's another another seat or two gone. So Lawson will have to make the most most of this chance and see if he can add to his appearances as just the the tenth Kiwi, the tenth New Zealander to ever drive a Formula One race. As a as a tidbit of knowledge for you though, um, if you are familiar with the F FIA F one rule book you'll know that you can only have four drivers um nominated for a team in a single season mm. and alpha Tauri are in the unlucky prestigious i don't know one or two unlucky slash prestigious position to have named all their four drivers for this season so oh. they've got yuki Sonoda, you've got nick devries you've got liam lawson and then you've got daniel ricardo oh. if daniel ricardo is unwell and cannot get back into the car and Liam Lawson is called back to his um, I don't know, has to miss a weekend for whatever reason but also he is doing super formula at the moment and there is a race in, in October let's imagine for example that that um, Ricardo is out for the rest of the season then um, Alva Tauri would have no other choice but to call back Nick DeVries Oof. They would have no one else. <laughs> so let's hope Liam uh, is able to stick around for as long as they need whilst Daniel Ricciardo is out. Because if he, if, if Daniel Ricciardo is out for the rest of the season, and that is not the chance because it can take 12 weeks or 14 weeks, 16 weeks to repair a, a broken arm. Trust me, I've broken my arm twice. It takes months. Um, then they would have no other choice if Liam had to go off and do Super Formula but to call back Nick DeVries their hero and saviour what a turnaround that would be I think he'll he'll be back quite soon though we saw we see F1 drivers do tend to come back from injuries in like freakish amounts of time I remember Lance Stroll breaking both his wrists two weeks before the two weeks before the season and then he was back like nothing happened because he supposedly he didn't want to miss out on the the pace of the car so it wouldn't surprise me to see uh uh, Ricardo back for Singapore just because they have this determination, this ridiculous fitness and recovery as well. So it wouldn't surprise me to see him back quite soon. Yeah, and it, all, all it cost him was, you know, his dignity and excruciating pain. Do you remember watching um, Stroll going around, like clutching his wrist? Um, oh, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I find that amusing that Lance Stroll was worried about missing the pace on the car. I think the car, to some extent, was missing the pace of Lance Stroll. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and there's other winners of course aside from Mr Lawson and Verstappen that we've mentioned uh, I suppose the main three would be Alonso who finished in P2 Gasly who finished in P3 and Albon who finished in P8 to name a few here's a little game for you I guess who's the biggest winner of all those because you've got Williams getting themselves a P7 in the constructors or solidifying that rather two drivers in quality Sargent being hampered by technical issues uh, you've got Alpine for example who've hit back after criticism double points of course because Ocon finished in P10 and then last but not least Aston Martin leading back against criticism from me above all else solidifying their place in P3 and Alonso gunning for a win that was in a uh, that was by no means out of the realms of possibility, but um, if you were to caveat that, Stroll struggling again. So who's the biggest winner, do you reckon, out of those three? Alpine was the biggest winner in Gasly um, because that was a massive win for a team that I think has had a lot of turmoil this season. And mm. 
they are now the third team to get both drivers on the podium this season. After Red Bull and Mercedes. Yes, that's that's correct. Yes. High grade, isn't it? Really? Yeah, agreed. I'm going to concur and say Alpine. I was thinking, out of those three, who's had the biggest sort of net win from that? And arguably, I mean, Williams scoring, what, 25% of their points in this one race. That's a pretty big win. And those points could come very much in handy at the end of the season, especially when early in the race, when you had Joe in second, it looked like Alfa Romeo could be on for a huge haul. Um, Mm. And then that didn't happen. And he had that unfortunate accident towards the end of the race. But yeah, I think that, to be honest, I think Williams could have got more because Albon didn't, Williams messed up the pit stops both times. The first, the first pit stop though, part of that gaggle of cars, who went round for a third lap in pouring rain, led by Lando Norris and his radio call of "Yes, yeah, fine, yeah, I'll keep going," which I, which I, I hate, I hate, hate to disagree with because I'm I'm not a professional racing driver who who knows what it's like to drive in those conditions. But I think he might have been wrong. And the second time, Albon <laughs> stayed out for an extra lap, and that cost him track position, didn't it, to Norris and Hamilton, which he may have lost regardless, but it didn't work out too well for him or was it Russell he lost track position to a Mercedes definitely but I'm going to go with Gasly and Alpine in a weekend where they qualified 12th and 16th to come through Ocon was looking good for some good points he ended up 10th but I think Gasly just drove a, a brilliant race he was in the right positions he t- timed the pit stops well got a little bit lucky because his his five second penalty for speeding in the pit lane was in the end cancelled out by the one for Perez. So a nice a nice sort of come round, which meant that Gasly was able to get on the podium. His first podium since Baku two years ago when he was there with Alpha Tauri and a much needed result for Alpine after what's been um sarcastically a quiet few weeks. They needed a res- they needed they needed a result like that. So they've they uh they got one and yeah, I think Gasly. Uh, he dro- he drove very well as well. I think he's had a just on the topic of him. He's had a decent start to his Alpine career. He's been quite solid. I think Ocon's been the better driver out of the two, but Gasly's had yeah, a decent result. He got uh, third in that sprint in Belgium before the summer break, and now he's got an an actual podium in this race. So I think Gasly would be the main winner out of that gaggle that you mentioned. Interesting because for me it's got to be Fernando Alonso and Aston Martin because it uh, ends a, a cooler streak, if you will, in terms of points. You have to go all the way back to Canada for the last time that a uh, Aston Martin car and do Fernando Alonso was on the podium. And I think that they've really hit back after a summer break where many questions were over them in terms of what they could do, whether they'd fall down. You had us, for example, saying, well, it's not impossible for them to be down in P5 of the constructors when they currently sit in a P3, as is, or what could be, should I say, rather the the fall that they could suffer from. So I think this is a statement of intent, really. I don't think that um, you're ever going to see a situation where both Aston Martin cars are gunning for, let's say, P2 and 3 or P2 and 4. But to go and get that, 
and really be causing Verstappen some problems being the only one doing that in this uh, Grand Prix weekend in testing conditions I think is to their to their betterment really so they've stuck it to Ferrari in my view and shown that they are willing indeed egging themselves on to go and keep that P3 into the bitter end so it's heating up the fight so that would be the only reason I'd say they're better than Alpine insofar as when you look at what it means for them and the constructors they're in a healthy position, it remains healthy. Meanwhile, unfortunately, Alpine have been hampered by earlier mistakes, retirements and misfortune, really. But if we're looking at it alone, then then fair enough, really, to, to Alpine. They're doing very well today. Surely the biggest loser out of everyone was George Russell, who came on the radio and said, I was forecast for a podium. Ah, forecast how can you oh forecast for a podium they had the air of my father will hear about this about about not not very good um and he had an awful race he had an awful race mercedes got it completely wrong with george russell because he he was as he rightly says starting out in podium positions and the expectation was that Mercedes would do what they you know, do best and what they've done very well for years and, and pit drivers at the right time. And when the rain started coming down, I don't know about you, but I saw the fact that Williams wasn't pitting, Mercedes wasn't pitting, and McLaren wasn't pitting. I was thinking, no, <laughs> not again, McLaren, <laughs> not again. <laughs> no, why? Um, but and they did the pit and they just kept George out and they said, oh, George, no, don't worry. We'll ride it out as he was mm. losing 20, 30 seconds a lap mm-hmm. to everybody else. Um. Mm-hmm. Oh, what an embarrassing moment, um, really, for, for poor George. And then it was that was it. After that it was it was see where they could they could get to. I mean Toto Wolf called it catastrophic in terms of race strategy. So I don't think they'll be very pleased with the results. And I mean I can understand George's frustration and I think it's it's funny to joke about it because of course we weren't there racing forecast for a podium. And um, I think what George was trying to say was, look, guys, you know, we were in the podium positions. Mm. We should still have been in the podium positions. We had the pace of the podium positions. How on earth am I now in 17th place? And I think that's a fair question to ask. I, but it's just funny the way he actually came onto the radio. and was like, oh, I was forecast for a podium, guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> which was not great. And unfortunately, they uh, he, he didn't help himself. He had a collision at the end and a puncture, which means he had to pit seven times. Which, I mean, in fairness, Max Verstappen pitted six times. I think there was a bit of a debate on whether or not Max Verstappen now holds the accolade for the most number of pit stops at, to then win a race because he had six. Someone was going to go have to go count Canada, I think, to see if whether or not Jensen Button had more stops. But um, he didn't help himself. Yeah, he, he, unfortunately, yeah, he was in a collision at the end. He had to pit again, and he came basically last. Not brilliant for poor George. So I think, Tom, in answer to your question about biggest losers, I think, hands down, it has to be George Russell. I think to go from opportunity for second place to last is pretty pretty poor. That's a, that's a big L, isn't it, really? <laughs> he said he was forecast for a podium. Maybe he was just making an, uh, a... Uh... A nod with his wording to the weather, you know, the weather forecast. 
Yeah. No, I don't know. I think he's just a mm. he's just a very well educated man. That's all. But um, yeah, I'd agree in terms of. Yeah, Mercedes had a stinker. They could. They had a very fast car, as shown by Hamilton and Russell charging their way through the field. Hamilton, especially, I thought was particularly quick. But yeah, they had a stinker. They, I, I doubt when they when they say that they could have been on Verstappen's pace. I'm not so sure about that. But I think we we take the mick. But I think they may well have been forecast for a podium had they got the call right. So definitely one of the losers there. I would say that. If you look at someone like Guan Yu Zhou, he was in second place, and the fact that he fell down the field, yes, the yes, the car was slow, and he wasn't realistically going to stay that high up. But can we call him a loser from the race because of that, or do you think he's a bit blameless mm. for his his car just sticking him down in twelfth before he crashed? I think we can to a point because it's once again an opportunity that he's not really converted. We're seeing flashes of him being a solid driver that can get you exactly two points on two occasions this season. But in many ways, you make your own luck, don't you? And at one point, you've got to go and make that luck stick and you've got to go and convert it for you then to go and go on to bigger and better things. No disrespect to Alfa Romeo. It's almost like the Hulkenberg conundrum. Everyone goes, oh, he's such a good driver. He's done so well. He's just been unlucky a few times. Just been a bit unlucky when he's been in a podium position exactly every time he's been P3 or P2 or P4 or P1. So I'm starting to, not to rehash our old discussion from last week, I'm starting to ultimately think that Joe isn't all he's meant to be cracked up to be, unfortunately. I think he's someone who brings a lot of money in, but perhaps he doesn't bring too much talent in. But he was a bit unlucky, this Grand Prix, I'll, I'll give you. Interesting. What do you make about Haas having a poor performance? Can they be defined as losers? You've got P16 for Mr. Magnussen. You've got P12 for Nico Hockenberg just after they've both been announced to the driver lineup for next season. Not the worst display, but yet again, another display where there's no points and no hope of points, really. Haas weren't really there this weekend, actually, were they? And I think that's that was unfortunate. But it wasn't a bad result for them, as you say. I mean, they were P12 um, and P16. I just don't think the track suited the Haas car. I think it was a, it was a high-speed track, as we know. And the performance from Williams meant that they were they were naturally ahead anyway so when you had other drivers pushing forwards then Haas was always going to fall outside the points I think Haas will be looking forward to the upcoming races in places like uh, Singapore or America and to, to, to consider how they're going to claw back the points when the Williams starts getting a little bit weaker I don't expect Williams to do very well in Singapore so I expect Haas to try and be bringing back some more points there and a p12 is a perfectly respectable place given who's in front of him and um, when you look at the overall results so i i don't necessarily think this was Haas's opportunity to win and this is part of the reason why when when we're talking about logan Sargent's um miserable ending in his dnf why he perhaps it should also be added listed as the biggest loser because he had everything to gain for williams and unfortunately left Williams only taking in half points because they have one only one driver whereas Haas had you know were only two cars well yeah two cars away from from a point which makes a bit of a difference so 
I think that's what we can say about Haas this weekend, which is this wasn't their track. And the fact that they had both drivers finish the race puts them in good stead because when it comes to later on in the season, when they start entering back into the tracks where we think Haas will do quite well at, they have a slightly better opportunity to take as many points as they can. So I know I, I would I would say that they should feel you know pretty okay with this race weekend it was never going to be spectacular and if anything their rivals Williams had a bad weekend because only Albon was able to successfully convert excellent pace and qualifying into results can I introduce another loser because I'm desperate to uh, talk about the fact that he might be going to mm, professional tennis allegedly <laughs> uh Mr. Mr. Stroll, who mm. has just yeah, once again just had a poor weekend, 11th place when his teammate is on the podium. He now has 47 points to Alonso's 168, which is a, a yawning chasm, I think would be one way to describe it. I'm doing a little calculation here, just looking at it. In the last six races, if we ignore the sprint on the main Grand Prix, he has got seven points. In the last six races, in this, I'm trying to compare the fact that the Aston Martin, when it's had its downturn in pace, so in the last six races, he's got seven points. In that same time, Alonso has received, I make it, 65 points in those six races where the car has been on a downturn. He just, yeah, he, I, I don't know, he's just, in a week where the US Open tennis has started, maybe he'd be better suited being at that event than at the the Zandvoort Grand Prix or being at Monza this weekend because he's just once again just absolutely nowhere he's just not not with it I'm sorry he's just this man is a for, this man is a Formula 1 driver I can't I can't believe it he's just it's just so off the pace and perhaps I don't know whether his wrist injuries are still causing him trouble this later on in the year but he's just yeah he's being absolutely destroyed by a 42 year old Let's let's be real here. And the interesting one about this, when you compare it to someone like Ricardo, because let's say you have one driver doing very well, Norris, when it was with when he was with Ricardo, uh, was performing or doing far better than than he was, and you could go and say that well, Alonso's doing the same to Lance Stroll, but Stroll's got two P six finishes to his name, a P four finish, P seven finish in a car that's finished there on multiple occasions with Alonso being the driver of it. So it's not like he's on a downward trajectory such it's very much more the fact in my view that he can peak at a lower peak than Alonso can but his dips if you will his busts are far more prevalent obvious and consistent really so yeah, that that must be the most frustrating thing I think if you're his his dad Lawrence Stroll if you're somebody involved in the Aston Martin family the company of Aston Martin because the potential and the quality is there look at him during the the wet Grand Prix, for example, wet qualifying, starts as well. He's always quite good there. But when it comes to converting it consistently, which is what it's all about, really, just fails fails to do so. And that's ultimately how you judge a team, how you judge a driver, how Aston Martin will be judged as a conglomerate, as a constructor, and also how the individual drivers will be judged. So in my view, I think he's got to do something not too dissimilar to what Perez needs to do insofar as be consistently good and be consistently at your best what you can achieve instead of flattering to deceive in one or two races and then deceiving in others, if you will. So that would be my, my message or my target for him if I could 
could tell him so. And with that note of caution and deed advice to Lance Stroll, thank you very much for listening all the way to the end of episode 26 of F1 in Review 2023. Be that on your preferred podcast provider or indeed elsewhere. A reminder as ever, you can follow us and indeed watch short snippets of uh, this episode to come and then indeed the ones before that on Twitter, X and TikTok as well. And as we may have mentioned once or twice, F1 is back in a more permanent fashion now. Monza is next on the calendar, that coming this weekend. If you're watching, listening or indeed observing this one in the UK, British summertime, that will be a 3pm start on the Saturday for qualifying and then a 2pm start on the Sunday for the race where we're told there may be some rain, maybe not biblical rain, but like we saw in Zambort, but rain nonetheless we can but hope in terms of an interesting race and perhaps somebody else winning. But thank you very much for listening all the way to the end of this episode. We will be back next week and we'll be able to go and tell you all the good things, bad things and things in between about what happened at Monza. Thank you very much and we'll see you next week. Thank you.